Welcome to another edition of the Dark Days Dawning podcast. Today I wish to discuss James Joyce, his problems with addiction and his problems with alcoholism. In 1907, James Joyce had to seek for emergency medical help while staying in Trieste, Italy. He had a serious illness, most likely from an infection that he gained whilst visiting the local bordellos. Still staying in Trieste, he taught writer Italo Svevo English. In return, Svevo introduced Joyce to the teachings of the father of psychoanalysis, Sigmund Freud. In this podcast, I'd like to draw the attention of the Joyce and readers to the relationship Joyce had with psychoanalysis and vice versa. This is analysed herein. Psychoanalysts such as Carl Gustav Jung did reach out to try and help James Joyce and his daughter Lucia Joyce. These narratives offer insight into Joyce's problems and how he addressed them. We know that psychoanalysts, especially of the Canian persuasion, have written endless tracts of papers and books, presented in numerous hours at Lacanian-oriented conferences, where they deep dive into Joyce's life, decoding, deciphering, and interpreting his writings. How about James Joyce's attitude towards psychoanalysis? The interest from Joyce's end towards psychoanalysis was never mutual. Joyce was offered psychoanalytical therapy, but he refused to take it. Writing Finnegan's Wake in 1939, he degraded psychoanalysis using his Joyce in Parlance, i.e. young, fraud, messing book, and they were young and easily Freudant. However, James Joyce certainly needed help. Joyce may have projected a negative attitude towards psychoanalytical theory and practice, but undoubtedly he would have benefited from psychotherapeutic psychoanalytical help. This intervention may have ameliorated his internal psychological conflicts and addictions, which eventually caused him a lifetime of suffering and premature death. Acknowledging that Joyce needed medical and psychiatric help does not detract the writer in him in any way. Even his harshest critics acknowledged his literary ingenuity, which was never taken away from him. Carl Jung in 1932 wrote a scathing review of Ulysses. He found the book hellishly hard to follow and complete. However, Jung could not deny Joyce's brilliance in writing. To quote Carl Gustav Jung, quotation, if we regard the book from a technical artistry, it is a positively brilliant and hellish monster, end quote. From a clinical point of view, the facts of James Joyce's suffering remain as elusive as they were. Joyce was on the schizophrenic spectrum, as well as being a chronic alcoholic. Joyce never, it seems, got help via medical supervision to detox from alcohol, stay sober and address psychological ailments. Joyce's drinking escapades are well known. Joyce loved white wine and compared it to electricity. 
He hated red wine and called it a beefsteak. He would drink several bottles of white wine a day. He had a peculiar reaction to alcohol where it seemed to affect his mobility more than his head or his temperament. Often he would drink until the early hours of the morning. However, drinking alcohol had its price. In Trieste, Joyce caught rheumatic fever after drinking heavily and spending a whole night in the gutter. He had an equal love for whiskey. He visited a myriad of Dublin pubs for this elixir. His favourite whiskey was Jameson. In Finning's wake, he called whiskey the elixir of life. Jameson gets called many names by Joyce, including Jem or Shen, John Jemison and Son, Juan Jemison and so on. Plus, his wallet was initialised in the Jemison whiskey typeface, JJ. He wrote poetically about this love for whiskey, to quote Dubliners, the light music of whiskey falling to glasses made an agreeable interlude. Furthermore, whilst living in Paris, Jemison was indeed his favourite tipple. Joyce is not blindly misusing and abusing alcohol. He is neither guilty of lacking clinical insight nor awareness regarding the harm alcohol can do. If we cast our glance at Dubliners, we will see very clearly that Joyce knows how alcohol can destroy a human life. However, myths about addiction, mental illness and creativity still abound. Too many scholars, too many scholarly commentators propagandize the myth that mental illness and addiction results in ingenuity. If we believe this inference, it means schizophrenics are ingenious mathematicians like John Nash. Or autistics are all potential savants like in Rain Man. Such thinking is non-clinical, mythomania, pseudologia fantastica. And we must distance and divorce ourselves from such tall tales that are untrue. Psychosis, from which James and his daughter Lucia Joyce both suffered, is horrific. Let us clear up the false link between psychosis, alcoholism and creativity. Dr. Rettenberg answers this question by declaring, if you want to achieve optimum creativity, you require to be in optimal health and acidity to be perfect optimally, and this goes for all types of creativity. Joyce was not operating at optimal level. His creative input was stimulated by alcoholism. He only wrote four books in his lifetime. Due to his chronic ill health, it's a miracle he wrote this much. If we are to imagine what his creativity in life would have been like with his mental health treated and his addiction to alcohol treated, sadly would only be speculating. I shake my head with disgust when I hear academic commentators reflecting about James Joyce and preaching his belief that all great artists need to suffer and be sacrificed in order to be creative. This illogical outlook glorifies the unfounded link between manners and ingenuity, addiction and creativity. Joyce did not need the chronic condition of alcoholism, which has been known to cause organ failure, amnesic disorders, brain disorders like Korsakoff syndrome and wet brain disorder. As you read this paper, think of the adults who were once in full health, who destroyed themselves from alcoholism. Think of those who to this current year are institutionalized for life. Chronologically, they are of adult age, mentally and behaviorally, they are the age of an infant. They have wet brain disorder, 
but you do not hear about them on the news because the powerful and lucrative alcohol companies do not want you seeing and hearing this. This easily could have been the destiny of Joyce, courtesy of alcoholism. Institutionalization through psychosis, however, did claim and take over the last half of his daughter's life. Her condition was surely not aided by living with her father's alcoholic behaviour. Alcoholism can be transgenerationally transmitted from parent to child through genetic inheritance or through simple conditioning wherein the child mimics what they see in their environment. Clearly, his daughter did not inherit alcoholism, but living with alcoholic parents also transmits, very naturally, psychopathology because an addiction has a traumatic generator attached. It is important to remember an addiction does not only hurt the addict, it hurts the people who are nearest and dearest to the addict. I do not see how exacerbating, neglecting and ignoring Joyce's problems helped his creative development. Yet, I came across a dissertation that wished to ask the, saying, uh, the asinine question, the drink aid or hinder Joyce's writing. Why do academics not ask the same question about lung cancer or heart disease? Why do they see benefit in addiction when addiction is hell? I think in answering this question about the writer John O'Brien, who died at the age of 34, the author of Big City, Bright Lights, J. McInerney said that, Quote, John O'Brien was a stunningly talented writer who created poetry from the most squalid materials, end quote. In O'Brien's best-known work, Leaving Las Vegas, he wrote vividly about a suicidal alcoholic writer, Ben Sanderson. Ben loses his job, his family and his friends. He fills his BMW up with liquor and beer and travels from L.A. to Nevada, feeling he has nothing left to live for. He will proceed to drink himself to death. The author of Leaving Las Vegas, Personal Life, was also falling apart as he wrote and published the book. Two weeks after he heard his book would be turned into a film, he shot himself in the head and died. O'Brien vividly depicts the main character, Ben's journey into the painful, long, drawn-out, excruciating method of committing suicide to drinking himself to death, whilst Sarah a prostitute and girlfriend is witness. The author's father described leaving Las Vegas, which John O'Brien dedicated to his wife, has a son's suicide note. The main character, Ben, is a composite of the author, thus the book is labelled semi-autobiographical. It's very hard reading about Ben's dehumanising descent into self-destruction. O'Brien vividly describing Ben's blackouts, getting himself nearly beaten to death from a lack of self-security, filling shopping trolleys with spirits, drinking hard booze from the bottle like it's a cool mineral on a scorching hot day. The vivid description of Ben dying from his self-abuse and knowing that John will soon die also from suicide. This truly was one of the most heartbreaking reads I ever put myself through. Deborah Brown, 2000, of Empire magazine, described leaving Las Vegas as, quote, emotionally draining, the graphic depictions of physical abuse are tempered by the delicate moments of doomed love, powerful and visceral. This is the ultimate sobering experience, end quote. Alcoholism, as clearly demonstrated in this novel, destroys lives, and it's fair to deduce Ben's story of utter nihilism from alcoholic abuse, 
easily could have been James Joyce's personal story. So who cares about alcoholism's A's and benefits? If scholars truly understand human suffering, they won't want to see the good in it. Instead, they will focus on studying symptomology and how to ameliorate and cure pathology, which is abundantly more fruitful than creating narratives surrounding a concept that ingenuity depends on the artist's suffering. Relating the spirit of this paragraph with James Joyce's story is, of course, tragically simple. If Joyce invested time and energy into long-term psychoanalytical psychotherapy with a competent psychotherapist, he would have had a better chance of being a sober man leading a reformed life. The hypothesis that psychotherapy is not for people who are artistic and creative like Joyce and that their art is what saves them is inherently wrong-minded. The famous actor Mickey Rourke, his career was virtually destroyed from alcoholism and mental health. He had to spend 13 years in therapy to rehabilitate himself. The positive upside is this, is that he made a career comeback with an Oscar-nominated performance in The Wrestler in 2008. This happy story of rehabilitation and sobriety would have been James Joyce's, but it wasn't meant to be. To quote Dr. Kaplan of 2008, quote, Joyce was not a good patient. His non-compliance and doctor shopping must have played a significant role in his morbidity. In his attitude to illness, Joyce was variously obstinate, self-destructive, non-compliant or in denial. Alternatively, he was dependent, prone to rationalise and accept alternative explanations. In short, he was utterly human, end quote. The negative transferential relationship with Lucy and Joyce. James Joyce's daughter, Lucia Joyce, was diagnosed with hebraphenic schizophrenia in Burgosley Mental Hospital, a disorder James believed she inherited from him. Whilst at the asylum, she ironically requested the assistance of world-famous psychiatrist and psychoanalyst Carl Jung. James Joyce said he would not personally go to Jung for help, but realising his daughter and he are not one and the same, he hoped Jung could help her. Lucia Joyce had already captured the negative transferential relationship to psychoanalysis from her father, James. Remember, mental illness and negative reactions to therapy are notoriously contagious. This is why Alice must go through years of their own therapy to protect themselves from the ill effects of the counter-transference. Tragically, Lucia Joyce's attitude was negative towards Jung. As if to say, she was much too superior for this treatment. Young could not work with her and she was left without his care. This is awful, considering Young was one of the best psychologists in the world. Now it's time for my conclusions. Whilst James Joyce played around with his negative attitude to psychoanalysis and refused help, one can only conclude that he was denying the extent of his problems. By refusing to help himself in every possible way, he was only protecting his own addictions and psychopathology, which is desperately sad. He also, by his attitude, did not, go, did not do enough to protect his own daughter. Thank you very much for listening to my podcast.